What up, film fans? We are back for another episode of what is still currently called Movie Mondays with Luke Pickett, but might, by the time I release this episode, be rebranded as something else. Uh, <laughs> I've, you may have heard, if you're an avid fan of this podcast, um, but I've been putting it out a little bit on the social media channels, the Instagram and the Twitter, uh, that it's coming to my attention that, you know, more people that, you know, speak to me and try and find links to this podcast and everything. Uh, it's been a slight struggle. Um, it's partly to do, well, it's mainly to do with the, the name, the branding name of this podcast. For example, when you search MMLP on YouTube, it comes up with the Marshall Mathers LP. Fair enough. It's a great Eminem album. <laughs> uh, and also, my name is Luke Pickett. There is a dude who's about 10 years older than me from my exact same hometown who's also called Luke Pickett. And I don't know if he's still active, but he was a musician or maybe still is a musician and he was doing pretty well so normally then when you search luke pickett on google or youtube he comes up <laughs> uh so yeah uh we will likely be doing some sort of rebrand so welcome to the first edition of whatever i've rebranded the podcast to because i haven't thought about what to rebrand it as yet well i've thought about it i just haven't solidified anything yet anyway Moving on. So today's episode is going to be same format as last week's episode, which was the one about Rings of Power and all my lovely thoughts about why it's a much better show than the horrible comment sections on social media will have you believe, which is full of, you know, virgins that live in their mum's basements who want to complain about Lord of the Rings. So Let's ruffle those same virginal feathers. That's a weird sentence. Let's ruffle the same nerdy douche... Same nerdy douchebags that are going to have a problem with last week's pod. Going to have a problem with this week's pod. That's what I'm trying to tell you. Because I am directing my attention to the Andor show. It's not called the Andor show. It's just called Andor. Uh, the Star Wars show if you're not aware for it apparently it's like the least watched show that disney plus has put out from either the star wars or the marvel universe i find that hard to believe because i don't know anybody that's watched she hulk or miss marvel i haven't watched either of those two i've watched most of the other marvel shit i'm getting a little bit marvel fatigued though it's taken me a while it's taken me longer than most people but i'm getting marvel fatigued but this podcast is about star wars and andor uh i have watched every piece of star wars content that disney has put out apart from the resistance cartoon and all the like shorts that they made for kids and stuff so when i say every bit of marvel content uh star wars content all the films uh the Clone Wars, Rebels, um, which are both out of this world fantastic if you haven't watched them. And they make watching uh, The Mandalorian and things like that more enjoyable because there's so many Easter eggs. Um, yeah, all Mandalorian, Boba Fett, Obi-Wan. 
What else have they had? Is that it? Is that all they've had so far? I don't know. I've forgotten. Anyway, uh, yeah, I personally loved and still love The Mandalorian season one and two. I thought they were amazing. Uh, I enjoyed a lot The Book of Boba Fett. I will admit some of it is problematic. Some of it was maybe not what we as a fan base would have had in mind, particularly for, you know, some of the character arcs of Boba Fett. But I will defend it in the sense that, like, you know, a lot of people when, with the book of Boba Fett, they wanted this, you know, ruthless, gunslinging bounty hunter. He's Boba motherfucking Fett. Like, he's not supposed to fuck about. Um... So I can see why people would get annoyed with that. But then I sort of thought about it from the perspective of like the character growth. You know, at the end of the day, he's an old man or he's getting on at least. By the time the Book of Boba Fett comes around, he's just been eaten by a fucking Sarlacc. Um, he's not as wily as he probably used to be you know, so he's got to change tact in order to survive, so instead of being a foot soldier and a bounty hunter, I mean foot soldier in not that he was part of an army, but he was boots on the ground shooting people, which, you know, the that that's the Boba Fett that the fan base loves, fair enough, but um, he became, he had to change tact for survival because it's a very short lifespan in that line of work, so then he goes from the foot soldier to being the crime lord and the boss. So there's a good bit of character growth there. So I don't I don't mind that. I'm open to see that. And like I said about the Lord of the Rings stuff, is if you want to hear and see and read all the stories of Boba Fett being a ruthless, badass killer and all of that, you can still go back and read those comics and those novels and all of that shit. Like, it doesn't detract from that. This is just him in his later, older life where he's calm down a bit and is thinking a bit more bigger picture and a bit more level-headed so uh, I don't really mind having said that the the show wasn't perfect there were some amazing moments in it um which brings me to the Obi-Wan Kenobi show all these precursors to talking about Andor will make sense I am going to talk about Andor a lot okay um the Obi-Wan Kenobi show I was more excited for the Obi-Wan Kenobi show than I've been for any Disney Star Wars thing at all. It's the most excited I've been for anything that Disney have put out Star Wars-wise. Um, when I first watched the trailer, I cried. And I, I've said on other podcasts, it doesn't take me a lot to cry these days. I'm an actor, was supposed to be easily accessible to our emotions that sentence was stupid that was me rewinding it so i can give it another go we're supposed to be we're supposed to be able to access our emotions more easily nailed it on the third try um after two rewinds uh and there was uh, more words in there somewhere um now I'm just thinking about my hat. It's a Saracen's hat. Saracen's rugby hat. Uh, we're currently undefeated this year. Nine games from nine. 15 points clear of everyone else in the league. What? 
Uh, yeah, hate us. We're the hateable team. It's all right, we get down with it. Anyway, that's enough rugby chat. This is not a rugby podcast. I did one of those in the past. Uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi show. The trailer made me cry. I was so hyped for it. I was really excited. Uh, the show itself, hmm, my least favorite Star Wars content that Disney have put out. I'm going to say it. It was quite lazy. The It's like they were just relying on the fact that it was Obi-Wan Kenobi and hoping that that was going to bring enough gravitas. Don't get me wrong, there were some amazing moments in it, like, spoiler alert if you haven't seen it, um, the last episode where Obi-Wan and Darth Vader fought each other, that was amazing. The performances between Hayden Christensen and Ewan McGregor, um, you know, bringing up the past and their old friendship and stuff and all of that uh, was so emotional and really got me in my teenage feels because I was a teenager when the sequel when the prequel sorry trilogy came out ah gotta love that H2O and um yeah however there was some real lazy shit some real lazy shit in that series like for example I might have been episode two or three when Obi and Leia are I can't remember, they were escaping from something and they hitched a ride on this dude's wagon who ended up being Zach Braff in like full alien costume so you couldn't tell it was him, but it was Zach Braff. And they get to like uh, an imperial security gate. Uh, Obi-Wan gets rid of all the guards and stuff via death. And uh, then he's like, ah, shit. How are we going to get through this laser beam gate? I know. I'll shoot the control panel. That will disable the gate. We can go through. You might think, solid plan there, Obi-Wan Kenobi. I couldn't think of anything else you could have done to get through that. And then, the camera on a drone shot or a crane shot or something pulls back, revealing a wider, more bird's-eye angle view of the situation. And there was like 10 foot of space. You could park a jumbo fucking jet in there. Snatch reference, there was like 10 foot of space either side of the pillars where they literally could have just walked around it. Lazy, Disney, lazy. And I will call you out on that shit all day fucking long because you do a disservice to Star Wars with your laziness. Not all the time, not all the time. But when you do shit like that, do a disservice to Star Wars. And I love Star Wars. I don't know if you can see this. But I have a Yoda, I have an R2, and I have a Jedi certificate. That is a Boba Fett helmet ring. It's a little bit faded. I bought it when it was silver. It's now copper, but I'm still wearing it. Because I'm cheap. Like the budgie. Lockstock reference. Two Guy Ritchie references in one podcast instead of the other director that I normally reference. Who rhymes with... Squintin Plarenblino. Uh, anyway, so the reason I was talking about Boba Fett having a few issues, Obi-Wan having a lot of issues, and then leading that into Andor is Mandal... Okay, just doubling back a little bit. Mandalorian was near on perfection throughout the whole of its run. Andor... Sorry, I'm going to stop clicking this pen because you can probably hear that on the, on the microphone. Um... Andor 
is the best Star Wars show that Disney have put out since The Mandalorian. Not including Clone Wars and Rebels and The Bad Batch. Bad Batch, that was the other one. Bad Batch is, is pretty good. It's not as it's not as good as Rebels or Clone Wars. But excluding the animated stuff, Andor is the best live-action thing that Disney have released since um, The Mandalorian 1 and 2. Uh, it's not as good as Mandalorian 1 and 2. Bear in mind, at point of recording, only episode... I've only got up to episode 11, episode 12. So th- I'm recording this on the Wednesday that episode 11 came out. Uh, next week is episode 12, which I think is the end of the season. I think they're doing 12 per season. Um, which I like because Obi-Wan and Boba Fett, I believe, were just six. I think Disney keeps hitting around the six mark, both with its Marvel and with its um, Star Wars, which can sometimes leave the stories to be a bit rushed and the characters not very fleshed out. (coughs) Obi-Wan Kenobi. Like, fucking Ice Cube's son. Um, What's his name? O'Shea Jackson Jr. Um, Was amazing in Straight Outta Compton. I mean, he might have had it a bit easier because he was playing his dad. So he knows how his dad acts because he grew up with his dad and he looks like his dad, blah, blah, blah. But he was quality in that film. Um, that's the, I think that's the only other thing I've seen him in. But I was excited. to. See, I know he's done a lot of other stuff. I just haven't seen him in, in other stuff. Um, so I was excited for him to appear in um, Obi-Wan Kenobi. They gave his character fuck all to do. Uh, and... Their dialogue wasn't very good and wasn't very, from an acting point of view, it wasn't tasty dialogue, you know. It wasn't, it was just very plain, very basic. It was white people dialogue. And what I mean by that is, you know, how white people food is normally not flavorsome. You know, like if they season stuff, they don't season it. They might put salt and pepper on it. See, they, we, we might put salt and pepper on it, but we ain't season it you got any Caribbean friends or whatever or Indian friends or just friends that come from you know places where the cuisine is held in high regard watch how they season their food eat barbecues at their houses eat meals at their houses the food is good <laughs> so um yeah the dialogue in Obi-Wan Kenobi was the equivalent of white people seasoning food uh, whereas the dialogue in Andor is like some succulent Caribbean seasoning with spices and paprika and garlic and cumin and all the good stuff. See, I ran out of seasonings because I'm white. <laughs> um, yeah, so, actually, yeah, let's just carry on talking about the dialogue. So the dialogue throughout it's the kind of dialogue I like where it doesn't spoon feed the listener everything. It will throw, if it doesn't throw you in in the middle of the scene where you really have to li- this sounds stupid to say, but trust me, it's worth saying where you really have to listen and pay attention to what they're saying to pick up on what is going on instead of just being spoon fed what's going on. They're not, it's not just a, a doddle with useless words. And this is partly because so many of the plot points and character stories and 
you know, episode layouts and the narratives, they, they do sort of jump. There's a lot of moving parts in these narratives. There's a lot of different characters doing a lot of different things. You know, we've got Andor on his home world, which involves like his childhood best friend, his childhood love interest, I assume childhood, um, his mother. Uh, he, then you've got Andor going uh, on that mission uh i can't remember what the name of the planet was but it's the first sort of mission he does with uh Stel the crew that stellan skarsgård character has hired um where it's led by that woman um and then you've got all the other characters on that uh that mission you've then got stellan skarsgård doing his stuff with um uh the ginger lady um oh she's like one of the original trilogy characters mothma is it more? Oh God, I'm such a bad Star Wars fan. Ah, fuck, doesn't matter. Um, you got his interactions with her, uh, her interactions within her political circles, uh, Stellan's interactions with the IBS, which is the like imperial, um, like rebel hunting organization thing. You've got all the people within the rebel hunting organization thing where you've got uh, Doc Brown, the comedian Doc Brown. He plays one of the one of the Imperial dudes. Uh, that was a surprise to see him in there. You've got the blonde woman with him. She's awesome in this. You've got the older guy who is, he gives me kind of, um, what was that group of people in Game of Thrones where they all wore those like tattered robes and they all had stupid cut symbols on their foreheads. Um, he, you know, it gives me that kind of like vibe. Um, you've got all all them things. There's so many moving parts to it, and that it you're not spoon fed any of the dialogue. So to use that imperial group as an example, when you've got the old geezer in charge of the IBS, the blonde woman and Doc Brown, they're literally just like, um, bam, important pop. <sighs> important plot point regarding um, rebel activity. Uh, speaking in military code and terms as to how we're going to deal with this, other military code and terms that this affects. So if you're not paying attention as the listener, you're just hearing gibberish. And you're like, oh, wait, sorry, what? And then, you know, if, a, an episode later or a few scenes later, you see the consequences of what they were just talking about, or not maybe not the consequences, but like, you know, the, the plans going into action of what they were just talking about. Um, it's all, you know, whereas I felt Obi-Wan was just a bit, it was just too simple. I like dialogue where you're forced to sort or, or sorry, um, they'll just throw you into the middle of a conversation or two characters will be picking up a conversation midway through that is a follow on from something we haven't heard of yet and you're like hang on what the hell are they talking about what was that thing they just mentioned we haven't seen that yet what's this huh and then you know the next scene or a few scenes later or the next episode later you're like oh i get it now that's what they were talking about um or sometimes the dialogue is just juicy and actually a great example of all the things i was just talking about throwing you into a scenario where you're like uh, what are you talking about? Is uh, it might have been episode nine or ten? It's when um, Andor's like childhood or teenage sort of love interest from his home world 
um, gets captured by the Empire and then they interrogate her. And this, like, scientist dude just walks in and starts talking about these, like, uh, sentient sort of celestial otherworldly type beings that the empire found in like deep deep space and when the scientists were trying to uh communicate with them they had to do it through like um basically telepathy or something like that i think is effectively what he's saying uh and then through studying them and their language and everything um i think they ended up killing them or something because the empire are bad they just go around fucking shit up it's what they do uh and they've recorded they realized that when these things die they make this strange horrific noise and then they he basically goes on to say that they found recordings of what they can assume are the the children versions of these otherworldly beings uh that when they die it's even worse to listen to and then what these audio engineers did was chop and change a lot of the um, the audio, picked the particularly bad bits, shuffled it around, repeated some stuff, and just produced this like audio track that is the most horrific thing in the entire Star Wars universe that anyone could listen to, and that's what the Empire are using to torture people. And then he tortures her with it to extract information regarding Andor. Um, and it's just this real juicy, interesting monologue where initially when he's talking, you're like, what the fuck are you on about, mate? What are you talking about? What? And then as he goes on, you're like, this is bloody horrific. Oh, dear. And then, he, you know, he tortures her with it. Um, so an example of great, I feel like I've been talking about dialogue for 10 minutes now, but this is the podcast. You know this by now if you're listening to it. I will ramble on about the shit I like because I like it. <laughs> um, and also as well, something that this show is doing really well is expanding on the foundations that George Lucas and Dave Filoni and all these brilliant minds behind Star Wars, Ryan Johnson included in that, have laid down before so you know in the original trilogy like when Han Solo and the gang are on um I was gonna say Mos Eisley but that's Tatooine when they're on City of Clouds what's that called the Star Wars fans going it's called fucking this um Cloud City whatever it is there's a other word for it but Cloud City uh and, he, and Han Solo gets tortured <clears throat> by some of Darth Vader's goons and it's just that oh and it happens to Princess Leia and A New Hope as well where you just have that floating like uh, orb thing going towards it with like someone's like duct taped a syringe to it and it goes and then it like the, the door shuts on the cell that she's in and we cut away and we don't see what the torture is likewise with Han on Cloud City there's just like a contraption with like needles and steam and stuff coming on it and he's like strapped to a bed that like gets lowered down towards it and we cut away and we hear Han scream uh, and then the next time we see him he's groggy as shit um so we don't know I'm not saying this from like a sadist point of view like show me the torture I'm just saying it from like um 
at least in Andor, we are told very specifically through a, a beautifully written articulate monologue that's delivered really well by that actor i can't remember his name i don't know his name i don't think i've seen him in anything else but he smashed it um we're told exactly what level of torture and specifically what you know type of torture she's about to undergo so they're they're giving us a lot of juicy material um i will say though that it did take me a few episodes to warm into Andor. Because, like... Okay, when I heard the plot... If you're not aware already, you probably are. Andor is about Cassian Andor, who is the main dude, along with... Um, is it Jaden Erso in Rogue One? They're the two mains of that rogue um, squadron that gets the plans for the Death Star, blah, blah, blah. You've seen Rogue One, I'm sure you have by now, if you're listening to this podcast. Um, so initially when I heard that they were making Rogue One and what it was going to be about in terms of... Not bad, 25 minutes in and that's my first burp. Um, that they were going to get the plans for the Death Star and stuff. I was like, okay, yeah, I can, I can fuck with this. All right. Ended up being like joint first or a very close second best Star Wars movie that Disney has made. Um, I say joint first because The Last Jedi is a fantastic movie and I will make a podcast about why you're wrong if you disagree with that. Um, and yeah, so then when I heard that they were making an Andor show, I was like... So, we have A New Hope. They made a prequel to A New Hope with Rogue One. All right, fair enough. Great movie. Then they're making a prequel show to the prequel movie, to the original movie. I was like, ah, they're kind of just flogging a dead horse at this point, aren't they? Surely they are. You know? And this is also off the back of, like, having problems, big problems with The Force Awakens and having even bigger problems with The Rise of Skywalker having some problems with Boba Fett, having big problems with Obi-Wan. There's a f there's a few too many swings and misses coming from Disney's corner of the universe right now with Star Wars. Uh, so I was like, hmm. So it took me a few episodes to get into it. I'm like, okay. It is a bit of a slow burn as well. Um, but, like I say, because there's so many moving parts and so many characters... Uh, that they really have to set out the chessboard. And then as it goes on, they start moving them around. And what I do like about it is a lot of them aren't wasted or uh, just throwaway characters. Pretty much every character that gets like either a substantial you know, episode or scene or something will, will have some... Um, some bearing later on down the line, you know, they, they reoccur and influence the plot or drive it on or forwards or whatever, one way or another. Um, so that, that's been, that's been really cool to watch. Like the, uh, what's his name? The first Imperial guy that decides he's got a bugbear with Andor and gets the Scottish geezer from, uh, Chernobyl, also a Stellan Skarsgård thing. Um, the Scottish geezer from Chernobyl, uh, this 
sorry to say it to you, mate, but he's a he's a rounder fella. Brilliant actor, though. Uh, he was in someone else I did a podcast on recently. Anyway, um, him and the military guy, the guy who tailors his suits, the clean-cut military guy, they attack Andor's hometown. It goes badly for them. He ends up getting demoted and, like, fucked off into some other job role within the Empire. Um, and you're like, oh, okay, well, maybe he's done. You don't see him for an episode, maybe two episodes. And then all of a sudden he pops back up again and he's doing bits and he's scheming there in the background. You're like, okay. And then there's also some doubt with his character. At least there is from my point of view. I'm like, mm, is he going to change allegiances? Is, does he? Has he lost faith in the Empire? Or is he just biding his time and the whole reason for tracking down Cassie and it isn't going to be to join Cassie and it's going to be part of his own personal redemption arc. There's, like I say, there's moving parts. It's good. It's very good. Um, but initially, like I say, although it took me a little while to warm to it, it was also really apparent early on that it's like, it doesn't feel like Star Wars. And I don't mind that. It, it, it started to feel more and more like Star Wars as it's gone on, particularly like the last episode or two. But it doesn't feel like Star Wars. It feels... If you took the aesthetic away from it, so what I mean by that is, you know, remove the Empire, change... Keep the Empire as the the villains, but take away the Stormtroopers and the TIE Fighters and swap them with something else. You could even take it away from being sci-fi. And you could have the Empire as being like the East India Trading Company in the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise, Right? You could just throw that aesthetic onto them. And likewise, take, you know, the blasters and the sort of Star Wars style costumes that Andor and all the civilians kind of have and give them, like, you know, the Pirates of the Caribbean costumes or anything. And all of the plot points would still be as gripping and enticing and you you know it'd still be equally as enjoyable but it's not it doesn't feel star wars i mean yeah spoiler alert saw guerrero appears in there and he's quite a prominent star wars character particularly from you know rogue one and uh the clone wars and things like that so that pulls you back into the star wars universe and then of course you know the empire and the blasters and the tie fighters that that reminds you that it's star wars but if it didn't have all of that if you swapped the aesthetic for any other aesthetic it would just be a show about not that it would be a bad show but it would just be a, a show about the same themes because this is partly why it's brilliant brilliant writing and brilliant storytelling is because it's not relying on the fact that it's star wars it's relying on its material its plot points its narratives its uh, exploration of the characters and their psyches and why they might decide to join a rebellion or why they might decide that the rebellion is bad and they want to be part of the empire or why they might decide life is a lot easier if I just step out of it ah but now I've seen all this nonsense I can't just be a bystander I am going to have to pick a side it's relying more on 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 that which is just credit to is it Tony Gilroy or something that writes most of it, I think? So I'm, f I'm fucking up so many character names and so many people's names, but 
My laptop's down there recording this. My phone's there recording that. I can't Google shit, okay? And I'm tired. It's been a long day. Um, I'm recording this at like late. You don't need to know what time it is. It's my business. Um, let's consult the notes because I did make a few notes this time. Um, oh, yeah. And it's got a few Easter eggs in there. But it's not relying on them too much. You know? So, what, for example, there's... um. It's in Attack of the Clones, and I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure it's when Anakin and Padme are going back to Naboo because it will be safer for Padme there because she's people are trying to assassinate her, and Anakin's with her as a Jedi bodyguard, and she's wearing this ridiculous like sunrise uh, hat ensemble thing, um, and that's just in Stellan Skarsgård's gaff. Um, cause he has like two roles in Andor. If you, you've probably watched it. If you haven't, I'm going to tell you anyway. One of his role, his public persona is this like sort of flamboyant, world traveled, oh, uh, type character where he's like an, a rare item, an artifact collector and dealer and, you know, an art dealer basically. And then he has his other more secret persona where he's this gruff I will help destroy the Imperials but stealthily type role um, so in his uh, gaff where he sells all his art and rare items and artifacts and things from he's got Amidala's um, I call it sunrise because it's just like a big D shape that sits on her head uh, yeah little easter eggs like that where I didn't know it was Sorry, there was a flash of lightning then. <laughs> um, and there's the thunder. What was that? Three seconds after? Does that mean it's three miles away? Can you hear that? I don't know if this microphone's picking it up. That was a big old rumble. Um, anyway, more things. Yeah, the set designs are... What's that thing that they call that um, John Favreau is and Dave Filoni are using a lot for their Star Wars stuff? I want to say the vortex. It's not the vortex. Ah, what's it called? It's a really awesome piece of technology that they're using instead of green screens. And initially, I was a huge fan of it. Um, Oh, what the fuck is it called? If you've got Disney+, Plus, which I'm assuming you have, if you've watched Andor or Mando or whatever, but there's a there's a whole um, behind-the-scenes documentary thing on it that I think is in tandem with season one of The Mandalorian. And um, it's basically this big circular room uh, with a roof, and the roof and the circular walls are all screens uh instead of green screens um if you don't know what green screens are google it because i ain't explaining it to you and so basically then when you've got actors on set either pretending to drive you know fighter planes and fighter planes jesus christ you know like the star wars spaceships and, and whatnot on the screens they'll literally have you know stars and planets and stuff right there so when you're on set you can see it whereas when you're on set 
working with green screen, it's just a green sheet. And you as the actor have to imagine what's there, which sometimes when you're working on lower budget stuff can become problematic because if, you know, say you're meant to be looking at a dinosaur, right? And the director's like, yeah, the dinosaur's over there. And they haven't told you how tall the dinosaur is. So the actor's eye lines are off. One actor might be looking down here. The other actor's looking there. Another actor's looking there. And then you might not notice it as an audience member, but sometimes you will. And you'll be like, they're all looking in fucking different places. They're supposed to be looking at the same shit. Um, if you, you know, if you're on a good, bud, a good, a bigger budget thing or just something where people are a bit more savvy and a bit more experienced and know what they're doing, you'll normally have some sort of, um, not, it might be the visual effects um, producer or artist or whatever, but, you know, normally someone will make sure everyone's on the same page or sometimes they'll just hold like a, a stick with a golf ball on it or a, not golf ball, a tennis ball or something on it and help your eye lines and stuff. Uh, but sometimes they don't. So when you have this, um, what the hell is it called? Oh, it's going to annoy me if I can't remember it. But when you have this big room with all these screens and, and stars and, and whatnot on it, or even they'll, they'll project the, the, the backdrop of like uh, Coruscant or Tatooine or whatever it might be on it. And it just uh, feels the, the set a bit easier. They'll still have real like tangible things in there like you know it might be like rocks or seats or tables and chairs and, and shit like that but the the backdrop is digitally imposed right then and there as opposed to in you know the post-production effects later on like it would be with green screen um and yeah initially i'm like that's awesome that's a really cool way to do it but there are points in Boba Fett and Obi-Wan particularly that I noticed where it kind of starts to feel like a bit lazy. You can kind of tell they're using it a bit too much. They're, but, you know, it's new technology, so they're trying it out. They're seeing what they can get away with, seeing what they can't get away with. But Andor, uh, before it came out, I read a short interview with one of the makers of it, and they were saying that most of their stuff where they can get away from it is going to be um like on location you know um so if they're supposed to be on some sort of desert planet they are finding locations that are that fit that description and then building practical sets within them or you know adding aesthetics to a pre-existing environment and things like that, which is, you know, that's the old school way to make films and TV shows because before you wouldn't have had computer technology to do green screen or do the, um, what the shit is that thing called? Jesus. It's called the volume and I didn't even finish typing. I put M-A-N. I was going to type Mandalorian green screen device. It's called the volume. That's what I nearly forgot it again. It's called the volume. That's what they call it. It's called the volume. Um, and yeah, so the set designs, um, the costume designs in Andor have been amazing, even to the point where like, I noticed it on episode 11, it's a shot looking from within Andor's mum's house, uh, looking outside into the street as people are walking by and stuff. And all around the, um, window frame, 
like on on the glass itself is like dirt and smudges and fingerprints and stuff like that you you might not notice it if you're not really looking for it but i noticed it and i was like ah oh, that makes this house feel so much more lived in and it says so much about the characters in terms of like they're quite impoverished they can't even afford window cleaner and this city that they you know they they the andor's about the rebellion emerging right specifically with andor but in general it's about the early embers of the rebellion you know starting up and um the the that hometown particularly since the heist that andor gets involved in and then the sort of shootout that happens on on that place it's it's under quite a harsh uh, imperial sort of regime you know they're really kind of cracking down on that area so when you see like you know haggard looking homes and dirt on the streets and you know grubby looking people people that the government has just forgotten about and pushed aside or oppressed then it you know it says so much more it, you you empathize with those with that those characters in those situations more so just having something as simple as these dirty ass grubby windows you're like oh man this this particular house or family or village or town is like getting really hard done by it just emphasizes that sort of their dire straits and their repression and things from the empire it's fuck it's a window and i read that much into it <laughs> um yeah i wrote a note that said maybe better than the and that was it that was the end of the note better than the what past luke help future luke out will you no um that's the line about the dialogue already talked about that plot lines build slowly they do they do build slowly in this thanks luke no worries mate oh yeah um there's a cool thing in um in writing um I do a bit of writing sometimes um but you know i'm I'm a reader of scripts and a studier of that type of shit, so like yeah, writing is obviously a big important part of filmmaking and everything, but I can't remember what the rule is, but it's something like um <laughs> if you've seen dude where's my car where they go to get fast food and he says some of the food order order and then the person on the tannoy at the drive-in goes and then yeah uh fries and a coke and then and a burger and then and it goes on and on and then and then and then and then um it effectively is there's a rule in or a not a rule a guidance in writing that's like okay but and then and oh this is a bad situation could it be worse and then and it you know, there's like, okay, that's bad. Could it be worse? Type thing. Um, and they, <laughs> I almost started to laugh at how worse things kept getting. And spoiler alert, I think it was episode seven or eight where Andor gets um, captured and put in a prison. Um, and the prison, things just get worse and worse. Like he get he gets caught with a he, with a fake id so they don't know he's andor and they don't know he was part of that heist they just they just think he's some random dude he gets caught and they're like oh this prison sentence used to be six months and he's like yeah but i'm innocent i didn't do anything like they think he was part of like some 
high street robbery as opposed to the massive heist he was part of. Uh, but he was just wrong place, wrong time. The crooks ran past him. The Empire think he was part of it. He wasn't. So you're like, oh, that's hard luck. And then the person doing the sentencing is like, oh, this used to be a six-month thing. Now it's six years. Bye. And he's like, what? So you're like, ah, oh, even worse luck. They take him to this prison. It's like a, it's floating in the middle of the ocean. So, you know, hard to escape because if you're swimming away, you might drown. Think about Alcatraz in San Francisco. Um, so you're like, well, that's worse. Uh, they then go way down underground. That's worse. No vitamin D. You then find out that, like, the floor is electrified. So as soon as a prisoner misbehaves, they, like, buzz the floor and you will either, you know, get rigor mortis-style electricity where you're, you know, you can't do shit at that point because you're being electrocuted or you die. That's bad. That You then find out that basically your entire day is slaving away building shit for the empire that's bad um your food is through like a tube with no flavoring that it was just, it was just like a okay this sucks it sucks more and it sucks more and it sucks more and it sucks more <laughs> like they're really hammering home how fucking terrible uh this situation is for him um i can't remember the point of why i started talking about that so hmm there we go Oh yeah, and some of the new ideas, I don't know if I started talking about this a minute ago, I think I might have, uh, but some of the like new ideas that um, Andor is playing on, that, you know, like building up from things, um, I like it when, when there's the original or like the source material or something, so alright, take um, Kylo Ren's better example, Darth Maul's lightsaber, right, so lightsabers were in A New Hope, uh, Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi we're very familiar with lightsabers and then all of a sudden Phantom Menace rolls around and as Jewel of the Fate starts going Darth Maul struts out from behind these two doors pulls his badass hood back revealing this spiky head with the, you know the black and red like makeup thing that he's got on him and those sith eyes you know like, okay this motherfucker's here to dance let's go pulls out his lightsaber like this ignites one end you're like okay this is normal we've seen this before and then bzzz, ignites the other end and you're like this motherfucker has a double bladed lightsaber huh what and you know since then a lot of different star wars iterations kylo ren with his um hilt guards uh, the Inquisitors with their rotational blade things. Not just lightsabers, but there's always been like a continuation of, okay, you did this, how can we make it, not better, but how can we change it, put our own stamp on it, that kind of thing. Um, and Andor is doing really, really well with that. Um, what Disney has been doing amazingly, actually, is um, coming up with really cool, unique droids um, and like pretty much making sure that there's always a cool droid, you know, be it Chopper in Rebels, who's basically a more psychotic R2-D2. Um, the, the, the droid in Rogue One, which I believe was voiced by... Oh, what's her name? Something Christy? Um, the woman from Game of Thrones who fights the Hound. She went to the same drama school as me. 
Eleanor Christie, I want to say. Uh, I'm Gwendolyn Christie. I'm so sorry I forgot your name because we were trained by the same drama lecturers and that's fun. Uh, <laughs> R.I.P. Drama Centre London. That place closed down. Very sad. Um, that droid, yeah, there's loads of fun new droids. Something that Andor's doing really cool is um, just introducing some shit we haven't seen before. Um, you know, like in the episode that was just on there, episode 11, Stellan Skarsgård's character is trying to get away from an Imperial tractor beam. He just like unleashes, unleashes some shit at the tractor beam that basically breaks the satellite and disables it, which I don't can't remember seeing yet in anything Star Wars. Can't remember doing that. It's normally just, ah, oh, we're in a tractor beam. Fuck. That's us then. It's the very first thing you see in A New Hope is um, Leia's ship is flying away. The Star Destroyer is following it. Gets caught in the tractor beam. Sucks that bitch in. Uh, the bitch being the ship, not Leia. I would never call Leia a bitch. Okay. I was referring to an inanimate object that is genderless. Thus, I can call it a bitch if I want to. Um, yeah, so he fucks that up. He's then dogfighting with a couple of TIE fighters. Um, these, like, what I thought were gun turrets appear on the side of his ship. And I'm like, oh, okay, he's going to, like, send out some, you know, homing missiles or whatever that are going to lock onto the TIE fighters and blow them fuckers out of the sky. Nope. Just lasers. Lasers go out the side of it. And he just does a barrel roll in his ship. So the lasers go woo. And he flies in between these two TIE fighters. And just I don't think I've ever seen that before in Star Wars. That was cool. Um, there's some good shit. There's some really good shit. Um, and a lot of the... A lot of the stories and the plot points. And the character decisions. Particularly around Stellan Skarsgård uh, have a lot of gravitas to them and a lot of high stakes. So this is something, again, that Obi-Wan sort of faltered by and in a way Boba Fett never really picked up a lot of steam on is what are the stakes at play. So the stakes in Boba Fett, if memory serves, I haven't seen it since it came out. I haven't done a rewatch of it of it yet. Um, so it's just the stakes are his position in the galaxy in terms of, you know, can he hold claim over Mos Eisley in Tatooine? Can he hold on to it against the Pikes and uh, whatever else is involved in uh, the huts and, and all of that? Uh, and Obi-Wan is obviously relying on the fact that it's Obi-Wan and it's Darth Vader and it's the Empire and it's the Rebels and it's Princess Leia. It's relying really heavily on the fact that the audience already knows that and it doesn't have to do much more to emphasize that. Um, it just puts those characters in perilous situations and relies on our investment as lovers of Star Wars and audience members watching this to be concerned about whether or not they get away um, or succeed or whatever. Um, and sometimes I think that was to its detriment because with Andor, we know full well that that's eventually going to build up to 
Rebel versus Empire, where you can't get any bigger stakes than that because that's the fight for the fate of the galaxy, right? I'm not going to go too far into that because you should know that. Even if you haven't seen Star Wars, you should know that's a big fucking deal, right? Um, so what Andor does really, really, really well is the make. I feel like the makers are already aware that we know this. So they're bringing it back to the smaller scale. So to use Stellan Skarsgård's character as an example, it's not focusing on the that big, ah, Empire, Rebels. It's focusing on him specifically. What's a, What's a day in the life of him like in terms of the decisions he has to make as one of the leaders of this rebel movement, right? So, again, spoiler alert, but there's a plot point in uh, episode 11. I think it might rear its head in episode 10, but definitely in 11, where uh, there's... No, yeah, it does happen in 10 as well, sorry. Uh, There's talk of this... Because of the heist they did in, like, episode 5 or 6, where they ransacked an Imperial base that was supposed to be impregnable, took a load of Imperial credits, killed a load of people and scarped out of there... There's talk of them doing something similar again. However, through Imperial Intelligence and XYZ, they've cottoned onto it and they're expecting it and they're ready for it and they're going to spring a trap. So what Stellan Skarsgård's character is weighing up is because he's got a, an informant on the IBS, that Imperial you know, um, team that are working together intelligence against the rebels he's got an informant and he's like if i warn the people that are going to go do this next sort of charade or whatever it is against the empire then the empire is going to know that they were warned by someone in their ranks so then they're going to be on high alert looking for the rat amongst their ranks but then also extra high alert who can we trust who can we not trust and they're going to clamp down on so many more things and make the rebels lives even harder whereas if Stellan Skarsgård doesn't warn that group and lets them walk into their doom so he will have 30 I think 31 in total men's and women's and whatever's blood on his hands but the empire will think that they've got the upper hand and that they don't have a rat they won't realize they have a rat or an informant amongst their ranks they'll think they've got they've got one over on the rebels they'll be a little bit more lax less likely to you know be vigilant and catch suspicious activity it gives the rebels a little bit more free reign to you know fuck about and find out so and he, he has a really interesting monologue in episode 10 where he's talking about how that affects him morally. And, you know, it's it's effectively along the lines of, like, I know my soul is damned, but it is for the greater good that I be the bad guy here. And I'm not being as bad as the Empire, but I am ultimately being bad and possibly immoral in service of the greater good. And I'm willing to carry that on my shoulders and try and fall asleep at night knowing that I'm effectively killing these people to save these people, you know? 
So that's what I mean about high stakes. And also earlier, what I meant about character decisions in terms of where does your morality lie in things. These are some real big, uh, tangible, juicy plot points and, and character arcs that were frankly absent in shows like Obi-Wan. They were. They were. And I love Deborah Chow, the director. I love uh, Dave Filoni and John Favreau and Obi-Wan and Hayden, sorry, uh, Ewan McGregor and Hayden Christensen. I love all these people. Obi-Wan just missed the mark a bit. Um, there was something else I was going to say. Uh, maybe I've already said it. We're practically an hour in. Um, I'm really, really enjoying Andor at the moment. Really enjoying it. Uh, like I said, it's the best thing they've done since Mandalorian. Um, really interested to see how this season wraps up. Really excited for season two. Um, again, sorry there was no visual aids other than a mug in a chair and a hat talking to you this time. Um, like I say, times, time restraints, busy schedule. Um, I'm even recording this one way earlier in advance than I normally record these things to make sure that I get it out to you on Monday. Um, and also, yeah, it might be rebranded as something else. Not MMLP anymore. We will see. Um, but I'll still be popping these out regardless of what name it comes under um thank you very much for listening um again watch movies watch tv shows indulge in this beautiful artwork that is so readily there's never been a better time to be a film fan or a tv fan it's fucking everywhere we still got cinemas thank fuck because i fucking love a trip to the cinema um sometimes i'll even watch two in a day because it doesn't get much better than a cinema screen and sound. But, you know, you've got... It sucks that you have to pay for all these different things like Netflix, Amazon, Now TV, what, whatever it might be. Um, but there is so much out there. And not all of it is great, but a lot of it is awesome. Uh, just, just indulge. Just indulge in it all, mate. Enjoy this artwork because films and movies and films and movies, movies and TV shows and and all of that, it is artwork. It is artwork. When it's done well, when it's done poorly, some paintings are shit, some paintings are amazing, some films are shit, some films are amazing. It's artwork and yeah, I fucking love it. So keep indulging, keep listening to the pod, subscribe, rate, review, whatever. Have a good one.